Okay, let us begin. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmaduhu wa nusalli ala rasulihi al-kareem. Amma ba'ad, we express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. And we seek blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So, now we get to dive uh, uh, deeper into this uh, this aisle. Let's put the, the screen up and... Uh, once again, someone give me a signal that you can or cannot see it. Perfect. Let me just open this. Okay, so we are looking at Surah 4, Surah An-Nisa. And one of the points that we are emphasizing so far is the relationships that the Surah is establishing from the start. So all of us coming from the same source, and then on top of that, the relationship with parents and relatives. And then from there, the most marginalized, forgotten in society, the orphans. And from there, the most marginalized among the orphans, orphan girls. So I suggested that it might be easier for us in this context to understand the surah if we call it, if we say that the surah is about family. Now, perhaps in the generation of the Prophet, peace be upon him, by calling it women, that's what they understood. They understood it as being related to family. But then on top of that, a point to consider is that in this process when we are speaking of women, this uh, the Quran is giving identity and agency to women, which, as you know, in the generation of the Prophet, peace be by and large, women were property. You know, if that, you know, of course, we know all the stories of, you know, the practice of burying girls alive, so forth and so on. Uh, and so all of that now leads us to this ayah on polygamy, or specifically polygyny, that if you feel you will not deal justly or fairly with the orphan girls, okay, then marry okay, others who seem who seem you know pleasing to you of the women two, three, or four. Okay, but if you fear you cannot be just with them, equitable with them, balanced with them then one, okay. or among those whom your right hands possess, that is closer, you know, that is to help you essentially avoid being unfair. All right, so the question I want to raise for you is when you go through the Quran, if you're being honest with yourself, and many people are not, there are going to be those passages that you might struggle with. Uh, either because the content is difficult for you to embrace, to accept, uh, because of personal history, cultural background, whatever the case may be, or because you just may not implement it. So I'll give you an example. I'm guessing none of you, including myself, implement the passages on cutting off people's hands when they steal. 
we might give ourselves all kinds of reasons and rationale why, and then make me maybe even feel good about ourselves why. Okay. But the fundamental point is that it's a passage in the Quran that we don't practice. Okay. So <clears throat> one of those passages that is a struggle for many people is exactly this ayah. Why? I mean, you don't necessarily have to be speaking on your own behalf, but why is uh, this ayah a struggle? Let me add more to it. It's probably fair to say that this is a struggle more for women uh, than it is for men in, in much discourse. And very often, this is a subject of fantasy for, for many men as well. I mean, literally, I had a student in the office today uh, she became Muslim about two weeks ago. She is in a relationship with a Muslim guy okay, who has already told her, and the guy was raised Muslim, he's a lifer, she's a convert, that you know he would consider marrying two, three, or four women. Right? She's been Muslim for two weeks. Okay? Uh, they've been together for maybe four weeks. Okay? And this is how things work. Uh, and so for him, never having been married, never having been in any sort of a substantive relationship except with this this person, and they're all keeping everything halal and all that stuff. Um, for him, this may be more a fantasy that she is hearing as a threat. So, in whatever way you want to engage, uh, I'm not asking for like the obvious, like you know, why is this difficult? Share what feelings this ayah arouses and no one is going to criticize anyone of course i reserve the right to roast everybody but and you all reserve the right to roast me back but everyone is sharing whatever they whoops sorry what happened here okay who wants to start danya so um one of the uh, one of the things that i like personally have qualms with is um overseas actually sometimes it happens here honestly um a, like a woman just find like happens to find out that her husband has another wife or married another person um and it would be like un unknown to her um and i feel like that's taking away part of her um autonomy mm -hmm. in that like making that decision i mean like if that's a decision that he made okay but like also she should have the freedom or that decision making ability to be okay with that or not mm -hmm. um and i think like that that aspect of it is something that i i personally struggle with i also feel like as in in many parts of the quran like context is super important mm -hmm. um and I think in this case, talking about like orphan girls and slaves in the same ayah mm -hmm. is very meaningful mm -hmm. and not generally discussed as part of uh, the okay of burying more than one woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing. Ahant. Assalamualaikum. Assalamualaikum that point i you know i guess i i've i've um you know i've heard 
you know, the, the discourse and, you know, I'm sure, uh, uh, you know, it's better than everyone on uh, either popular preachers or other is, is this, this, this unknown multiple marriages, uh, 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 uh issue. Um, you know, is that at all like, like substantiated, you know, by this, uh, this ayah? I mean, uh, oh, they, they seem to, uh, at least, uh, substantiated. Um, you know, do you have any like comments on Okay, so in terms of just like the rules uh, about about marrying a man, marrying a second wife, uh, there you do have uh, varying opinions. Some are of the opinion that the wife has to be uh, giving her own permission. Okay, some are of the opinion when you go through all the history of opinions. Some are of the opinion she doesn't even need to be informed, right? Uh, I think the latter opinion is kind of absurd, but that's uh, uh, that's my opinion on on their opinion. Uh, however, uh, it is next to impossible to argue that, except in the cases of danger, a secret marriage uh, is almost you can almost not justify that. Uh, it doesn't have to necessarily be announced so all the world hears, but part of the purpose of a walima is to make it announced right uh so so the point being you do find a whole spectrum of opinions of whether or not the husband needs the, the permission of his first wife to take on a second wife uh, but it's harder to find any justification for a secret wife whether it is the person's only wife or uh especially a second third fourth wife um Except uh, in the case that there is some some risk or danger or something like that. Uh, Ahant, did you have a follow up question? Because I'm very interested in the next person who has a question. Rossi. Yeah. By the way, I, I have no plans. My wife is on Zoom, and Rossi is my wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for those who don't know, Mashallah, Ahant is married to to Rossi. Waalaikum assalam rahmatullah. Yeah. Um. So. I think like in a lot of like in my experience, a lot of like um, you know, people that I know or like just kind of like around me, um, it's more the experience the like all of these things more so because of like spiritual abuse. Mm -hmm. And um and they kind of like okay with it just because they don't know any better. And they just kind of like accepted, okay, like um, you know, like uh the Ustad like say like all of these things, meaning that this is acceptable in Islam. Um, you know, like it's kind of like it's very common in Islamic tradition, so then I will be just okay with it. Mm -hmm. Um and other thing also like grooming a lot of um young generation or like just kind of like youth married to like a celebrated preacher or like kind of like someone that couldn't go like knowledgeable in Islamic tradition it's just kind of they being groomed and then they are okay to be like second or like third or fourth like mm -hmm. you know like yeah this is a a very common uh, uh thing or unfortunately too common where you'll have the prominent figure who literally is nurturing and training uh, the often unsuspecting uh, 
uh, female student um, to become more than a student. Oh yeah, and you all know I've had more than than uh, a few cases uh, of of those types of things that I've had to uh, investigate. Uh, my most recent case was two weeks ago. So uh, yeah, that's an ongoing thing. That that literally that case was while I was in Medina. That that you know I got called up. In any case, uh, yeah. But let's say even aside from the abuse by people who possess influence and power, uh, even in the case of lay people, here it's an ayah, it's allowed in the general sense. What are some of the other feelings that uh, people feel regarding such ayahs, whether we're speaking about, in this case, polygamy, whether we're speaking of, of marriage, or such relations with slaves, or the fact of slaves. Yeah. So if not this specific ayah, but these types of ayahs, what are some of the other feelings that they pull? Omar. Uh, I think first and foremost, a lot of it to me is immediately like when you think of these contexts i think for me it's just like this isn't my context you know like that's the first thing i kind of think of like when these things are being mentioned so i think like i know it's like we people mentioned about a lot of muslims and you mentioned the story they kind of want to immediately like subscribe to it and just be like yeah i get four or something right from mm -hmm. from a male perspective but i think for me it's like very immediate like this isn't um, my context isn't very like similar to this. So I need to like approach these with sort of caution and not like this very sort of, uh, uh, what was the word you use this sort of fantasy attitude, mm -hmm. right? Where like, I am probably not going to be in a position where I have to deal with slaves, you know, whatever, whatever that context is, or even consider marrying more than one, one person. So mm -hmm. I think like, when, when you look at these eyes, you kind of have to like, first and foremost, like kind of know your own context and what that is before you kind of try to like, you know, go into this realm of fantasy, if you will. Mm -hmm. So so there's the fear of imposing someone of other context uh, uh, on top of my own. Sure. Asif and Ramya. Um, so I, I'm the one who raised the hand. So okay. I know. Asif. Yeah. Um, so, so this ayah makes me grumpy, um, and it makes me. What grumpy. was the word used? Grumpy. Yeah, it makes me grumpy. Oh, grumpy. Um, okay. And it, and what it? Sorry, we're we're in full blown kind of iftar cooking mode over here. But um, what, <laughs> what what it makes me grumpy about specifically is the part that says that um, if you cannot treat them uh, justly or mm -hmm. sort of not be equitable, then marry only one, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and what makes me grumpy about that is that nobody talks about that part mm -hmm. right nobody especially from a male perspective nobody talks about what it means to be equitable because we're not just talking about equitable in terms of like you know like finances we're talking about equitability in terms of time in terms of love in terms of like anything that you are committing to another person for we're talking about being able to have that be spread around equally and mm -hmm. like that's like an insane standard which is why only like really the prophet was successful at, at that Mm -hmm. Right. And so so for me, what I get grumpy about is when we have conversations about this Aya in a way that's like, oh, it's just like a fantasy thing or, oh, we can just kind of do it from this like male perspective without recognizing there's a really strong and inherent responsibility that I know I would never be able to uphold. Mm -hmm. And so for me, like it's it's like, 
you, you can't you can't take just the fantasy part without also talking about the responsibility that is embedded in it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so it sounds like your issue is not so much with the Aya, it's m- more on the conversation regarding the Aya or the lack of the conversation on some of the Aya. But if I asked like Ramya to close her ears and just go la 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 la, would you would you say the same thing? No. Yeah, absolutely. I've told her this in front about this particular eye exactly in the past. So yeah. Well, <laughs> least... Yeah, this is she can and she can tell you. I could walk away and, and she could tell you that probably. Well, the same. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, let it be known that uh, Asif and Romeo have been married for how long? No, mashallah. It, it has been a year now. Mashallah, yeah. a year. So let's have the same conversation about five years. No, 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 I'm kidding. kidding, kidding. <laughs> yeah, inshallah be consistent. Any other thoughts, reflections? What is it that makes this aya or similar or other ayas difficult. I'll give you a completely different passage. So in the backstory of two aya, two surahs that you all know very well, the last two surahs of the Quran, uh, the backstory of the revelation of these surahs is what? So the last two quls, the backstory is that someone had put some sort of, for lack of a better word, spell on the prophet, peace be upon him. That he was sick, he was sick for a long time, but they couldn't figure out what was causing the sickness. And then he was informed that someone took one of his hairs and then tied it into a knot, blew a curse on it, and as a result, he was sick for a while. And then the prescription was that somebody had to be sent down into the well in which that hair was thrown and then find the hair. Now think about how impossible that is. A black hair at the bottom of a well. And they had to find the hair in order to, you know, to either to find out the cause of the curse or whoever, uh, uh, you know, whatever is related to the curse. And the prophet peace who had to receive these two surahs as a preventative for that ever happening again. But I've literally had cases where students refuse to accept that backstory, which is regarded as the standard backstory. So much so that they had, they had so much difficulty with it that it, they actually got up and walked out of class. So even if we use that as an example, I'll give you a different example related to the same universe as that. The story of the satanic verses, and I'm not speaking about Salman Rushdie as much as what he is taking the story from. What used to be taught in our tradition consistently until about 200 years ago, there's literally a whole dissertation about this, uh, was that the Prophet, peace be upon him, is receiving passages from Surat Najm, Surah 53, And then when he is speaking, he recites some things about these high-flying birds that Allah is pleased with. And the Quraysh understood that to mean that that the idols that they're worshipping are okay. Jibreel, alayhi salam, says, you recited something I did not give you. Now the Prophet, peace be upon him, in his loyalty to what he's receiving, he's reciting exactly what he's receiving. But then it turns out either the easier plausible story is that shaitan got on the ears of the Quraysh and they heard something that the prophet did not recite or receive. Okay, Or the more difficult story for many people 
is that Shaitan got on the tongue of the Prophet, peace be upon him, and he recited something that Jibreel did not give him. In the same narrations that say that happened, also say that then it was then corrected, and from that point forward, a wall was put against Shaitan from being able to do that ever again. So, same question. How does that make you feel? Ahant. Um, so the claim that uh, uh, that Shaitan, uh, he got on uh, uh, the tongue of the Prophet, isn't that against our mainstream Sunni Al-Qaeda? I mean, it's infallible, it, yes? Um, after that point of revelation. So you're saying that uh, his, uh, you know, when two men came and cleansed his heart when he was a little child. Okay, so that's different. That's different. Uh, we're distinguishing between does the prophet sin? No. Uh, but he's not committing a sin at that point. See what I'm saying? So from start to finish, does the prophet peace be upon him sin? If we go all the way back his whole lifespan, no, he does not sin. What is a sin? A disobedience of Allah. Uh, but that does not negate the possibility of the devil getting on his tongue up till that point. Now keep in mind, if you go to most madrasas today, they're going to say that's completely fabricated. Even though in the history of the teaching in madrasas, this was taught year after year after year for 1,200 years. Uh -huh, what do you think? Um... I mean, you know, that can see why for a lot of people uh, that may shake their perception of the Prophet it doesn't affect me. Uh, I just have a, a hard time, um, I guess, you know, engaging in, in discourse about this uh, without getting uh, frustrated about the fact that, that other people may be shaken I'll buy this. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Sure. I mean, again, uh, a point I should probably make uh, for all of you is that what we're sharing in these classes is not dinner time conversation. Um, that's something I used to have to say at the beginning of all my classes, all the courses that I've that I've been doing. Khoram. Uh, so, so saying that uh, when Shaitan got on the tongue of the Prophet, so it means like he whispered something. To prophet and prophet didn't realize that whether it was Jibril or whether it was Iblis. Keep going. I don't so, know. Are you asking a question or are you? Yeah. So yeah. So that's why saying that uh, uh, when you say that uh, the, that uh, that Shaitan got on the tongue of the prophet, so it means like he whispered something to prophet. Oh, okay. So so the way it seems like it might have happened. So Jibril gives ayahs to the prophet in different ways, right? So sometimes Jibreel gives the prophet's words, the prophet words that he then recites, right? Sometimes the prophet sees Jibreel and he's actually speaking to him. Yeah. Sometimes the prophet doesn't see him when he's giving him words. Sometimes Jibreel deposits something into the prophet, peace be upon him, and the result is the ayah. Yeah. Many, many different forms. Now this is still at the very, very beginning. So it's a new experience for the prophet himself, peace be upon him. And what probably seemed to have happened is Jibreel is giving him words and Shaitan also just stuck in some words too. Not necessarily as a whisper. Make sense? Yeah. 
but Allah knows best. Malahat. Assalamu alaikum. So two questions. One is that um, one of the example you says about the Surah Nas and Falak that your student left the classroom. Yeah. What is their what is their apprehension? What's what's their so think of the the same apprehension someone might have to this story of the satanic verses. Usually it's not really called the satanic verses in our tradition, it's Ayat al Gharanik. Right. So it's the eyes of the cranes that they said that, no, this cannot happen to the prophet, peace be upon him, because if that's possible, then everything could fall apart, right? If someone can put a curse on the prophet, then someone can fabricate the whole Quran. And I said, no, it doesn't go that far. Hmm. And the second second question I have is that, you know, this, since you brought up the Surah Najm, yeah. um, this question is in my mind for a while that, you know, when the, when the bayah happening to the 70 people from the Medina. Yeah, Bayat al-Aqba. So the, the shaitan of that tribe in this valley, he got so upset and yeah. he wake up the people of Makkah, right? And Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam heard him and, you know, he says, you know, I'm going to take care of him. So if if on the Surah Najam case, if, shait, if shaitan brings something to Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, how come that got missed? Okay, so Surah Najam is very early. So Surah Najam might be, I forgot exactly when, it might be oh. as early as maybe oh, year two. Before. Year two. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And so then after that, Shaitan is getting blocked. Gotcha. Okay. Makes sense? Makes sense, yeah. That's makes sense. Just, yeah. Omar. Uh, so would this be like rude to consider uh, or to potentially bring up is, you know, in our tradition, like everything happens if we were to kind of zoom out and look at this, everything happens by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, you know, I, I don't want to be rude to the Prophet Sallallahu but would, could we consider that obviously this is something that if it did happen, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed to happen for a reason? Uh, I'd right? say it would be willful, wouldn't it? Right. So for me, like, I don't, like, if, if we, because I mean, like, if we were to, like, see this as an issue with our faith, right? Like, wouldn't like you know the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and wouldn't the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala kind of allowing he allowed shaitan to do what he's doing or what he's going to do till the end of time wouldn't that be a similar issue because to me both of them on a similar plane of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing something that for us maybe on this on the surface seems mm -hmm. like oh this is problematic or this is going to have an issue but mm -hmm. like everything else ultimately it's a test um, I would say, yeah, absolutely. The only thing I would say is different is that we're here, we're speaking about the prophet, peace be upon him. Awesome. Right. And, and so, uh, by extension, we're speaking about the integrity potentially of the Quran. So let's think of it from a different perspective. Uh, and for all of you in the, in our paradigm, in the Islamic paradigm, do angels have the ability to disobey Allah? Easy question. No. no, angels do not have the ability to disobey Allah. Okay. What if we said they did? If we said they did, then the entirety of the Quran as revelation from Allah would be at risk, right? That's a problem when there's a minority, minority, minority opinion that says a shaitan was a fallen angel, right? Uh, and I mean, which is more consistent with the Bible than it is with the Quran. Uh, that would put the entire Quran 
at risk in terms of the theology. But the point being that uh, that is not the actual test of the authenticity of the Quran. What is the test of the authenticity of the Quran? It's the recitation of it. So now, having said that, one thing that is different about this ayah, uh, the ayah of marriage, is that this isn't talking about the Prophet, peace be upon him. This is talking about somebody who's potentially even in this class, or is talking about somebody that you know. I would suggest in the realm of theology and belief, there are those passages which might take some time for someone to, to be used to. Even Abba Sawatawalla, uh, he frowned and turned away. And you all know the story of that, of that, okay, the Prophet, peace be upon him, was reaching out to one of the leaders of the Quraysh, wasn't giving him much time. And then Abdullah bin Maktoum, who is blind, is trying to get the Prophet's attention because he wants to learn about the deen. And the Prophet says, and I'm paraphrasing, hold on, I'll talk to you in a second. I'm talking to this person. That person's not giving me any attention. And then Abdullah ibn Maktoum uh, then tugs at him again, and the Prophet looks at him and frowns. Okay. Now, keep in mind, the Prophet's face, the blind man could not see the frown. Okay. And his frown was probably so subtle, I, if I was standing there, would probably not recognize the frown. But Allah then immediately corrects him regarding the frown. So we are all saying that the Prophet does not sin, but he does make mistakes. The fun part of this is that when you then appreciate that even his mistakes he's teaching us, right? And so then for these ayahs from Surah Al-Najm or these ayahs from Surah Al-Nas and Surah Al-Falaq, when we look at the backstory, we are also seeing his vulnerability is also teaching us. And his vulnerability was still protected by Allah. But there were vulnerability moments. But then, having said all that, that's one category. But now bringing this back to the ayah we have that we're struggling with. Any other thoughts on feelings, sentiments regarding, for example, Surah 4, Ayah 3? Or Ahant, whatever it is you're going to say. Yes. Um, you know, I was going to just, uh, just, just ask real quick. What was the lesson from the verses in Surah Al-Majah? If you could. Give us like a synopsis, like real quick. Before. So one uh, that's taken is that the Prophet, peace be upon him, was so loyal to delivering revelation that he was delivering whatever it is he was told. Uh, and and in that moment, and he's he's delivering it without even interrupting it with a moment of thought. And so that was the moment that Shaitan, according to the story, the accursed devil, was able to to jump in on that the Prophet is receiving this passage from Jibreel, and then Shaitan quickly adds, you know, a couple ayahs to it. And so what's taken from that is the Prophet's complete, I don't even know what the word is, but being a complete vessel of whatever it is he's receiving, he's sharing. Does that make sense? Yeah. The and, ultimate um, vessel of Allah. Then, Say it again. And from then on, uh, 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 from uh, from then on, it's it, it's also like you know like narrated like to us that sh like Shaitan like like never had an effect again. Yeah, he's Is blocked. He's blocked from that point forward. Yeah. So the same story that tells us that this happened also tells us that he was from that point forward blocked. 
Meaning, if it was a fake event, the story's not even necessary, right? And so I find it more fascinating that is this recorded story that says this was a risk, this is what happened, and from that point forward, he was blocked. Uh, Danya. Um, did the concept of slavery um, back when this was revealed exist the way we know it to be now? No. Uh, Can you um, in, expand? In, okay, so when you speak of modern chattel slavery, uh, I don't know what its roots are in human history, but in whatever little I've studied of human history, and maybe others can chime in, that version of slavery seems to be a new phenomenon, right? Uh, that even the Quraysh, with all of their vile behaviors, didn't come close to modern chattel slavery. Now, in that which we would in English call slavery or servitude, there were a couple of different approaches. One is uh, prisoners of war. And I'm talking about even pre-profit, peace be upon him. And within prisoners of war, concubines. Right? So that was already a normal established, for lack of a better word, normal, but that was already a, an established thing. Uh, another was that there was a trade. There was an industry where people were buy, uh, buying and selling people, right? Now, why am I distinguishing this between chattel slavery? I mean, it's kind of, you know, at some point, they're all they're all bad. But here, the lineage of a person was still kept. Boom. And then a third is that, and this is something you find still common, for example, in the subcontinent and elsewhere, where this family, their whole job is to take care of this family. So you find this in many, many families back home. And I used to hear about it in the Arab world. I don't know if it's still there. That here you have a family, they live and such. And then this other family also lives in the same lot. And their job would be to cook, to do the laundry, to serve the whole family. And in their era, you'd have this tribe that had the responsibility of taking the family, taking care of the families of this tribe. And off the top of my head, those are all the, the, the big versions. And so Zaid bin Muhammad, um, I mean, who was later called Zayd bin Muhammad, in his case, he was this young person that the prophet acquired, uh, and I've forgotten how he acquired him, but his lineage was still kept. And then this is where the story that he was in the, he was in the market, and then his people recognized him. And then, you know, then they wanted to purchase him back, and the prophet said, Peace upon you. you can go if you want. And then he said, no one's going to take care of me like you do, right? And, and so the point being that when we speak of slavery today, uh, it seems to be fundamentally different. Now, I should also add in later generations, uh, it was also the practice of Muslim empires to then take in uh, either involuntarily or voluntarily, uh, but some cases definitely involuntary, masses of people that, had the, that were trained to be the soldiers of the empire. And then in the Ottomans, you had the Janissaries. And same thing, depending upon whom you ask, either it was voluntary or involuntary, the Ottoman sultans would take uh, Christian kids and then raise them in the Ottoman ministry to become ministers, right, at the service of the empire. And again, depending upon whom you asked, either it was involuntary or voluntary. I suspect some of it was involuntary. And so the point I want to keep emphasizing is that in much of what is still in our text was involuntary servitude. So much so that if you go through an old thick book on who can lead prayer, uh, often a slave cannot lead prayer. 
And what is the argument there? That when you're following someone in prayer, you want to follow someone who's equal or greater. And so people aren't going to pray behind someone who's that. And then there's also other issues, like in terms of inheritance laws and stuff, and stuff like that, uh, which for a suburban American sensibility might seem kind of prickly. But to answer your core question, I don't know of anything like modern chattel slavery, where the entire identity of the person is completely erased. So, Malahat. Quick question about this this ayah number yeah. three. In, in the light of today's society, yeah. when we have this free speech and all those freedom, right? I mean, the fantasy is one portion of the problem. But now we have this, um, the liberty and, and you know, all the freedom for the majority of the, the world. Not yeah. everywhere, right? Some portions always be suppressed and this follow exactly what Allah SWT described as. You know, but but what, is, what is the implication mm -hmm. in today's society? Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what is your view on that? Well, uh, if we're speaking of the United States, a second wife has no rights, right? Uh that uh and i mean there's lawyers or lawyers to be in this in this uh class but um but uh if you have if you conduct a civil marriage then there's certain set of rights that both a husband and wife have uh which a second wife you're not going to be able to do a civil marriage and so she would not have any rights nor with the third or fourth uh, now, it is possible, what a lot of people push is that, all right, if we're going to have marriage equality in terms of gay marriage, then we should also have this type of thing. That might happen at some point. Um, that's all just comes down to how hard people push for legislation. And that, you know, I don't really have uh, uh, an opinion on. I will say that in my own personal experience, observing uh, polygamous households, I've seen a few cases where it seems like it works. And one person I'm thinking where uh, his first wife actually chose, she had a major hand in choosing the second wife. Uh, uh, whereas in more often, it's, it's literally men trying to get away with fulfilling their fantasies. And I can give you a bunch of examples of that here in Chicago. You know, one is uh, a student who was going through, she was borrowing her dad's laptop to write a paper. And then she just saw some some paperwork about something she was confused about. But in her curiosity, she was looking and then discovers, wait, why is who's this woman and so forth and so on. And then she started making a connection that whenever mom, sister and brother would go on vacation, they'd come back and she'd find hair in her brush, woman's hair. And then long story short, she discovers that her father, who spends all day either reciting Quran or yelling at them, um, had another wife literally around the corner, right? Uh, I can give you a whole bunch of stories just in terms of, you know, my own interactions with people. But I have seen a few cases where, however, it seemed like it was done with dignity and honor and all that. Hamid. Uh, in the story that you shared... Uh, by the way, let it be known that Hamid, mashallah, is uh, also newly married. His, uh, his wonderful wife is also sitting in this class and joining us. And unfortunately, she's a fan of the Chicago Cubs. Okay, Hamid. <laughs> um, I'm curious. Oh, so I have two questions. In the story that you shared about the the first wife choosing the second wife, yeah. was that in the United States? She was. Second wife was not. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. And I guess I wonder what the 
utility of that would be? Um, I'm not going to speculate on their specific family, uh, but uh, think of all the possible reasons why a second wife might be taken care of. Uh, those reasons that people might like, which is that, okay, you have no one taking care of this woman uh, and the system is not taking care of her. Two other reasons like uh, a a man's appetites, right? Uh, You know, uh, think of the whole spectrum of reasons that a person may uh, not mind hearing versus reasons that a person may mind hearing. Other thoughts, reflections, questions? Uh, yeah, just along the same lines. Yeah. I feel like one of the reasons this rubs people the wrong way, at least for us living in America, is that our society doesn't really acknowledge this. When we think of marriage, it's nowadays it's based in love, whereas back then and even in many places in the world, it's more of a, it's based on a utility. It's based on off mm-hmm. of a, off of a need. Mm-hmm. It's more of a means to achieve a goal versus a goal in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So I feel like um, the society has a plays a large role in our understanding of this verse and our feelings about this verse. Yeah, the, the notion that marriage is for the purposes of love, that's a modern phenomenon, right? Uh, and obviously it's always been part of marriage, right? You know, لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا مَوَدَّ But the, the point being that love as a primary a condition for determining a spouse that is regarded as uh, not just a modern phenomenon, but we're talking about less than 60 years. Perhaps influenced by Hollywood and Bollywood. So not as a bad reason, but like you said, for other reasons like the development of family or other utility and, and such, without making it necessarily cold and mechanical. But this is also a thing. Here, <clears throat> uh, Regarding first the conceptual issue wrestling with these ayahs, this is a, a suggestion for, for everybody as a map. When you're faced with ayahs that you are struggling with, when you're uh, faced with teachings that you are struggling with, and hopefully it'll appear on my screen in a moment here, inshallah. Maybe I have to refresh and see what happens. It, it's paired. We, we can see. Oh, but did you see like the, the letters come up? I don't think you could see the letters come up. Hold wow. on. Uh, so essentially this... Oh, it's coming. Map for your... There it is. Okay. So when you're faced with a teaching in our dean that is a struggle... At the bottom is rejection. At the top is aspired implementation. Rejection is saying, no, I do not accept this. Uh, Whereas aspired implementation is, yes, I will try to fulfill this. Uh, My sentiment is to try to caution against rejection because that is not only the pathway to hypocrisy like textbook hypocrisy nifaq if not entire rejection of faith kufr 
So think of whatever are the most difficult passages for you for whatever reason. So acceptance with or without understanding. that I accept this as a thing, I may or may not appreciate the wisdom behind it, but I accept it as a thing. So, so for example, a common question I get is why do Muslim men, why can Muslim men wear marry people of the book? Why can Muslim women not? Or the question of why, you know, why are concubines uh, uh, allowed, right? Or just war itself. So, and then on top of that, we have the punishments. Then of course you have value neutral. And then I'm going to call this the shelf. I don't reject it because it is the word of Allah or because it's coming from the Prophet, peace be upon him. Thus, I don't reject it. Uh, I wrestle with it, so I'm keeping it on a shelf for now. Uh, this is my suggestion uh, for what to consider as a map. The goal to get to is B for the entirety of what is coming from Allah, whether through the Quran, through the Prophet, peace be upon him. Ahant. I feel as if, if enough of these topics are shelved for a long time, you know, those can be like roots of uh, of disbelief later on. You, Absolutely. You agree? Uh, I so, think they do have to get addressed, but yeah, keep going. So then, you know, if that's the case, um, you know, uh, do you think it's a lack of sincere belief that that uh, that, uh, that, uh, that pushes one towards, okay, I accept this because it is coming from a perfect uh, source you know, I guess my question is, what pushes the person towards from going that to, I don't accept this, and the source this is coming from is not perfect. You know, I think that's... Well, yeah, I'm not going to get into the perfect imperfect language. I think that's too ambiguous, but accepting or not accepting. And I'll also throw into there uh, the Prophet's marriage to Aisha, radiallahu anha, um, that for various reasons, uh, some of these passages can be difficult for us. One reason can be because of personal experience, right? Whether it's a traumatic experience or, you know, some sort of abuse. Uh, for example, the daughters who have told me about these abusive fathers who've married, you know, uh, second wives and become extra abusive to their own moms. Uh, I am impressed that they've remained within the dean. You know, uh, and I mean, you got to hear their stories, and that oh, you don't want to. But uh, uh, so, so the point being, basically, that that could be one source, some personal experience. Uh, another could be just some collective notion that you know we are civilized and this behavior is barbaric. You know? Sometimes the difficulty is we don't want people to ask us about this, right? You know, uh, 
just because we don't feel like we're going to have a satisfactory answer, whatever the case may be. I think those are usually the big ones. And I think all three of those are cases of sincere people, you know, that are wrestling with, uh, with faith and such, especially when you see these things getting abused, you know, uh, that when you see rampant abuse of certain passages, uh, and to the point that it's taken as normal as the as though it's taken as a proper interpretation i think that can challenge the faith of a whole lot of people who you know who are especially in need of faith but um uh, are searching for something does that make sense yes it does good amit uh back to the the map why is the goal b and not a <laughs> Well, A is you're seeking to marry four wives. Good. Oh, I, I meant I meant yeah. more generally. Yeah. I, are you speaking specifically with this verse or generally? No, I'm saying that would be one example. So I'm saying aspired implementation may or may not be relevant to your own personal life, but B is still accepting it, right? I mean, we can change the word acceptance to embracing, if that if that uh, um, uh, uh, makes sense. That this is part of the haq that Allah has revealed. That B. I may not have an appreciation for the wisdom, but this is what Allah has revealed. And then A is... I'm going to do it. Oh, I see. If it's a command, then A, yes. Most of the difficult passages are not commands as much as they are allowances or exceptions. Could you say that accepting and implementing, they're kind of similar? I think they're, I mean, if we're speaking of them as being similar, sure. I mean, it might be a semantic thing, but I'm even distinguishing. The, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, even in the verse, uh, which I don't have in front of me, but it said something like the last part of it was that it's pretty much better not to do that. It kind of the implication. Fair enough. Sure. But I mean, it's still saying that it's possible, right? If we make this more fun and add, uh, hopefully I have the right ayah. Nope, that means 120. Whoops, hold on. Um, I think it's 129 maybe, same surah. You will never be able to treat your wives with equal fairness. Same surah. Okay. However much you may desire to do so, but do not ignore one wife altogether, leaving her suspended. Okay. If you make amends, remain conscious of God. He is most forgiving, merciful. And so the Quran itself is saying it is next to impossible. So yeah, the standard for having you know more than one wife is very very high. But uh, but so the point is that uh, if you're defining you know the highest level as embracing this as truth in all of its goodness, alhamdulillah. I'm just basically saying B doesn't necessarily imply that you're seeking to embrace it, uh, uh, practice it unless it's a command. So it could be just a small semantic difference. The point overall is to go from D higher. Yeah. 
Any other questions, thoughts, reflections about this? I think that the ayah that you just shared about, you know, that you won't be able to do justice. Um, I mean, I won't, I don't want to use the word justice, but we have examples where the Prophet loved Aisha the most. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. he responded to many questions about that. And he always would say that. Yeah. So this is where it gets interesting. Thank you for bringing this up because the word here is Adal. And and so when we look at the the previous ayah, uh, uh, first it is if you will not be able to treat orphan girls with kist, a different word for justice, then marry two, three, or four. If you fear you cannot do adal, so adal is more material. Essentially, meaning what? That okay, if I have four wives. Uh, I have to split up my income, my wealth, evenly among all of them. Loving one more than the next is not a contradiction of adal. See what I'm saying? Uh, that material measurement uh, there, even that we're being taught is next to impossible. Material equality. Uh, but you see the point that I'm making? That uh, the prophet, peace be upon him, seemed to give the exact same living standard to all of his wives. Uh, but he loved Aisha more. Sadia, make sense? Yeah, sure. Definitely. Any other questions, thoughts, reflections? Uh, if anyone has any other thoughts, reflections you want to discuss regarding Ayah 3, uh, and for whatever reason you might not be as comfortable, you can feel free to uh, send me a note directly. Otherwise, inshallah, tomorrow we get into the first obligation that a husband has to his wife. And we'll look at that again in terms of the text itself, but then conceptually, how does it fit in with everything that comes before? I uh, I might be busy tomorrow during class. Well, I'll try my best, inshallah. Yeah. Adnan, mashallah, has been married a little bit longer than some of the others, you know, the newly married people, but still newly married, mashallah, and his wife apparently is not in class right now. Okay. We'll stop right here. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma, glory to you, O oh Allah, wa bihamdika, praise and gratitude are to you. Nashhadu alla ilaha illa anta. We bear witness there is no God but you. Nastaghfiruka. We seek your forgiveness. We don't have to be like and we turn to you. May Allah Ta'ala reward you all, inshallah, and we will continue tomorrow. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.